Well, we're continuing this morning in our series, The Gifts of Christmas. We started last week talking about uh, the gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus in the town of Bethlehem. I'm going to pause for a second. I forgot to do something, and I just remembered. I want to introduce someone to you. Um, Laura, would you please stand? Uh, in, in, in keeping with our theme with missions this morning, this is Laura Cadera. Can you say good morning? All right. <laughs> um, this is Melissa's sister, and Laura is a missionary in the nation of Guatemala, and uh, she comes, uh, comes home every year to visit family, and she's been here for Thanksgiving, um, and we had a, a neat time with, with her on Wednesday night as she shared her vision and what she's doing there in Guatemala, but I just wanted to point her out to you this morning. Would you take a minute after service today and say hi to, to Laura and get to, get to know her a little bit? Just like totally flood her and surround her uh, and... Uh, <laughs> But this is Laura, and uh, she sounds just like Melissa. It's wild. When they talk, it's, it's pretty trippy, but um, good to have you with us. Yeah. So, so the Magi come to Bethlehem, and they offer these gifts. They bring their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, uh, and what we're doing through this Christmas season is examining what the significance of these gifts were. I believe, I'm a firm believer that there's nothing in Scripture that is there by accident. That God fully intended for every word of Scripture to be penned exactly the way that it was. And so that this story, not just that the Magi came to Bethlehem, but the fact that they brought their gifts was, is significant to us. We find the story in Matthew chapter 2, and, and I'm not going to read the entire passage like I did last week. I gave some of the background about King Herod and all of that. If you missed that last week, you can hear that message online or on the app. Um, but I want to I just give a brief introduction this morning and read these passages. Matthew 2, 9 through 11 says this, After they had heard the king, they went on their way. This is the Magi. And, they, and the star they had seen when, when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming, on, coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Jesus here is not a baby anymore. He is a small child. Uh, and so there's some time that's passed. They're not in a stable anymore. Jesus isn't in the manger anymore. They're in a house. They've been in Bethlehem for a while. I'd mentioned that, that Joseph was not just simply a carpenter. The word that is used to describe Joseph's trade is more akin to construction worker. And, uh, and one of the things we learned when we're in, we're in Israel this year was that it was not uncommon for someone to be skilled in working with stone and wood because that's how they built their houses. And so Joseph would have uh, probably found work right there in Bethlehem uh, because of its proximity to Jerusalem and the construction and the, the growth that was taking place. There was a boom that was taking place because of King Herod in that region. And so it's not... Uh, out of the question that they would have stayed there because of the financial opportunities. But the Magi come from the east. We don't know exactly where, just east, just generally from the east. And they came and they found the child. And these wise men, these Magi, they weren't kings like the song suggests. They were just wise men. They were scholars. They studied the stars. They studied nature. They were, probably had some, some uh, scientific research going on. And they just were, they, 
they were like professors. They were like doctors. They were people who were just interested in the world around them. Um, but they come to this place where they know that this baby will be born, this child will be present, and that this child is the Messiah, is the promised one. It's significant that these magi, are not, they're not Jewish, at least from what we can tell in Scripture. They came from another nation. And so they're foreigners coming to the nation of Israel, and they find the Messiah. And when they find this child, they bow before him, and it says that they were overjoyed, and they worshiped him. When you find something that you've been waiting for, you've been looking for for a long time, right, there's a sense of joy. I think it's been diminished a little bit for us, by the way, by Amazon. Because this whole like Amazon Prime deal, you remember when it used to be two days? And now it's like one day and sometimes even the same day. And do you ever find yourself being irritated when it's like same day or next day and then it gets delayed? And you're like, oh my gosh, this is taking forever. <laughs> Mail order, JCPenney catalogs. Anyone ever remember the Sears catalog? Anyone ever order out of one of those? And you're like, you're like six to eight weeks, maybe? Man, that sense of waiting for us has been so diminished. But there is this idea that you can wait for something or look for something. And when it shows up, you can be overjoyed. It's finally here. I think Amazon is ruining Christmas. That's, that's my theory. But it's also helped me out a lot, and I'm sure some of you as well. The wise men come, and they find Jesus, and they're overjoyed. They find the king of the Jews, and they bow down, and they worship him. It mentioned last week, and, and we'll keep mentioning this, that Jesus was born a king. He was born a king. He wasn't born as a child who would become a king. That Jesus, in the form of an infant, was already a king. And their worship of Jesus is indicative of that. It shows that, that these men, these wise men, these learned men, these powerful and influ influential men come and they find this child. And can, can you imagine the spectacle in the street? Because it wouldn't, we, we assume it was three because there's three gifts, but there was probably an entourage. How many of you have seen Aladdin, right? When Aladdin comes in and he's got like, like the song, I won't sing it because then it will be stuck in your head. Um, but he comes in and it's the spectacle. Into Bethlehem comes this entourage of, of people. And they stop at the house and they bow down before this child. It must have been a sight to behold. And there's Mary with Jesus taking all of this in, and they worship him, and they present their gifts. This morning, I want to talk about frankincense. What is frankincense? Let me put it this way. Frankincense is the original essential oil. <laughs> it is. Um, in fact, I have a picture. This is, uh, this is frankincense right here in uh, solid form. Frankincense is a, uh, it's a gum that comes out of a tree. Uh, it's, it's a sap that turns into these crystals. Uh, and, and then when it is purified or if it's, if it's put under a flame, it'll melt and become into a, go into a liquid form. So they're both, both there, the, the liquid form of frankincense and the, and the solid. Uh, it could be ground into a powder. Uh, but frankincense was rare 
and it was valuable, and it was most often, if not always, used as a, as a form of worship in the midst of wor- the worship of, of God, whether in Israel or in other nations, of course, for Israel, they worship the true God, the one true God. And so we find frankincense present throughout the, the scriptures. It's extremely fragrant. Uh, in fact, it has very strong fragrance. Um, and I thought about getting some in here this morning, but I know that there can be sensitivities to those things. So I thought, well, we'll hold off on that. But you can't order it on Amazon, by the way, and have it here tomorrow. Um, you know what's incredible is, is our senses. You ever thought about just how amazing your senses are? I don't know if you think about that at all, but... But I know that our senses are incredible. God has given us these physical senses that are pretty amazing. Uh, Not only has God given us the ability to see and, and, and to taste and to touch and to hear and to smell, but he's also tied those senses to our emotions and to our thinking. And our brains, the way that our brains are wired and our synapses and, and the connections that are made in our neural pathways, that our senses and how we experience the world around us inform a lot of those things. And the sense of smell is, is a pretty significant one. So we're going to do a little experiment this morning. I like doing experiments in church. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes so you're not distracted. And I'm going to call out the names of some things, and I want you to think about the scent, about the aroma or the fragrance that that item or the item that I call out has. Okay, so you ready? Cotton candy. Let that one sink in for a minute. Cotton candy. How about this one? Summer rain. One of my favorites, fresh cut grass. How about this one? The ocean, the smell of the scent of the ocean. Good one for Christmas, a pine tree. Maybe today, because it's cold and rainy out, you'll go to the movie theater and you walk in, you're going to smell... Popcorn. Here's one that'll take you back. The scent of your grandmother's perfume. Okay, you can open your eyes. For how many of you, as I said those things, did you not just imagine the smell, but it actually took you to a place or a time? How many of you would say that, right? That's the power of our senses, the power of smell, the power of being able, it's called olfactory senses, the, the ability for us to take in a scent and for it to be tied to or connected to. I mean, and we could keep going, right? Funnel cake. I, I, I think a lot of mine are tied to food. Steak on the grill or the smoker. Uh, I have a weird one. One of my favorite scents, if you can call it a scent or a fragrance or a smell, is that of diesel exhaust. Um, I, I grew up, my, my dad and my, my, my grandparents owned a trucking business and we had big rigs and big 
caterpillars and equipment, and I grew up around the, the scent of diesel exhaust, which for most people is so off-putting and gross, and I smell it, and I'm like in a happy place. It's one of the reasons I drive a diesel vehicle is I'm like, I, I love the sound, and I love the smell of it. Um, because it, it transports me, it, it connects to a time in my life that really is associated with a lot of joy and a lot of happiness. Our senses, our ability to, to be tied through our senses to places and time or to experiences or to emotions is so powerful, and it's not by accident that God has designed us this way. And it's especially true when it comes to frankincense. Why did the Magi bring frankincense to Jesus? Well, frankincense was significant in Scripture when it came to the worship of God. And I want to talk about three ways that we see frankincense uh, really used in Scripture. The first is this. Frankincense was something that was associated with the presence of God. It was associated with the presence of God. Knowing God knowing that our senses would, would, would tie us to Him builds into the Israelites' expression of worship, scent, fragrance. And so part of His, his design for the tabernacle and later the temple in, in, the, in the sacrificial system was that there would be this altar of incense. This place where frankincense, which uh, if you read in Scripture, we'll read it in a minute, they're made up a, a part of the, 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 the ingredients of what was offered to the Lord. But what would happen is that as you got closer to the temple or closer to the tabernacle, you would start smelling this fragrance. And your brain would start working and going, I'm, I'm coming into the presence of God. I'm in this place where God's presence is. And there would be this anticipation of what would be. It's like walking into a home where a meal is being prepared. And you know what meal it is before you walk into the kitchen. Because you recognize the scent. Especially if it's your favorite meal. Okay, sometimes it's like Brussels sprouts. And you're like, oh no. Um, <laughs> though I have come to love Brussels sprouts. Can I get an amen? Especially if they have bacon with them. Yeah, bacon makes everything better. But as they would come closer to the temple, closer to the tabernacle, and they would smell the fragrance, that their, their physical beings would start being ready to be in the presence of God. Exodus 30, chapter, chapter 30, verses 34 through 37, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum, resin, Onica and galabinum and pure frankincense in all equal amounts and make a fragrant blend of incense, the, worker, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it into a, uh, into a powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant uh, law in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you, it shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. So God had gifted someone to be a perfumer, to have the ability to know how to combine these different, different elements and, and to cause it to emit a fragrance that was unique. It's 
if you walk into any Nordstrom, you know that this is something that still happens, right? My sister works in cosmetics, has worked in cosmetics for years, and has worked for Nordstrom and other companies, and I am astounded. I am astounded by the cost of fragrances. Perfumes and, and colognes are so, I mean, you can spend literally thousands of dollars, and that there are these perfumers, these, these chemists, these people who work in this field, who develop the right, that like, like, like when I said, imagine that the scent of your grandmother's perfume, right? And immediately you're like, oh yes, I know what that is. That someone took time to create that. Well, God gave that ability, not just here in current times, but in those times. And so he says, take these ingredients and put them together and create something that is unique. And his instruction is this, don't take the recipe and make it common. This isn't just for everyone to use. That this is separate. This is something that is unto the Lord. It is to be holy. And so don't cheapen it. Don't don't make it just a, a, a commonplace thing. Because I need this scent, God says. I need this scent to stand out in such a way that when people smell it, they think of me. Isn't God amazing? Hello? Isn't God, he says, listen, this this is not just something that's ordinary. This is special. And I want people to have this association through an experience they have, through this olfactory sense, through the synapses in their brain that start firing when they smell the scent to go, the presence of God is here. The presence of God is here. This incense would have been offered in the temple and in the tabernacle to an invisible God. The people of Israel did not see God. Moses saw the burning bush and there was flames and a cloud that would lead them through the desert but they did not see God face to face and so they would offer this incense to an invisible God consider this now the magi come before Jesus and they bring frankincense and they lay it at his feet and they now make a declaration about Emmanuel God with us that we are offering you the scent of worship, not to an unseen God, but to a visible being, God in flesh. And everything changes. Everything changes for us. The object of our, of our worship now stops being something or someone we cannot see and someone who's very visible because he has made himself known to us. Frankincense and incense was indicative of the presence of God. The next thing we see in Scripture is that frankincense was a symbol of intimacy. In the same way, we keep talking about perfume and cologne. Uh, When I was dating my wife before we got married and even still if we're going on a date or if we're going to go you know have some time with each other what we do is we put perfume on or we put cologne on and it's powerful isn't it that smell that that scent that you get of someone and and here's what we know of someone's scent is that you have to be close 
It's, it's when you give someone a hug and you get that, that aroma, you get that scent, and it can be powerful, uh, a powerful point of intimacy in a relationship. Song of Solomon in chapter 4, verse 14, the, the writer is talking about the beauty of the one he loves, and he talks about nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, and every kind of incense tree with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. In describing this relationship he has with the one he loves, and he's tying it to all of these senses, and he goes, to, to be with you, to be intimate with you, reminds me of all of these scents. You can go read more about that at home. There's a lot of things in Song of Solomon I'm not going to share in church on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but that whole book, that book of poetry, isn't just about the relationship between a man and a woman. It is an expression of the intimacy between us and God. And God is saying to us, I want you to be so close to me. I want you to be so intimate with me. And I want to be so intimately connected with you that you will get used to the scent, to the aroma, to the fragrance of who I am in your life. We have to get close to the Lord. Jesus is standing in that doorway with his mother and the Magi come, and now God is no longer far off, ethereal and distant. Again, He is Emmanuel, and He is close, close enough to touch, close enough to be right there. And the invitation to us at Christmas, the invitation that we see through the birth of the Messiah is this, draw close to me. Get close, get so close that you can sense my fragrance. It's interesting to me, you, you can, a lot of Orthodox churches or if you go to a Catholic church, there will still be that fragrance. We really don't use that anymore in our expression of worship, though I, I think maybe for some of our churches, coffee might be that thing, like, oh, hey, we're at church. No, <laughs> But we experience God in other ways, and I think what's changed, what, what, what we have that, that, that the Old Testament, that the, the Jewish people in the Old Testament didn't have, was the Spirit of God. And that we can experience the, the fragrance of the Spirit of God, not, not through our physical senses, but through our spiritual sense. And then God is saying, draw close to me. Draw close to me. We see the Magi bring this frankincense, they lay it at his feet, and it's, ex and it's an expression of the intimacy of God in our lives. And then finally this morning, fragrance, frankincense, this incense is an expression of worship. It's an expression of worship. So the Israelites would come and they would prepare their sacrifices and they would have the, the burnt offerings, whether it was the, the grain or the, the, the animals that were sacrificed or, or the incense that was sacrificed. All of these things had these visceral, these, these, these uh, sensory elements to them. But it was all centered around worship, that they would come into a place and that they would glorify God. And that the, as the smoke would rise, the scripture says that their, their attention would be drawn heavenward and that, that that smoke would rise to heaven and that God would be pleased with the sacrifice of his people as they would turn their attention from the things of the world 
the things that surrounded them, the things that they were distracted by, the things that were maybe heavy on their hearts, the things that they were fearful about, the things, the enemies that were at their gates, the lack of provision that they were perceiving in their midst, they would come into the presence of God and, and now this incense would draw them physically even to a place where their attention would be on the presence of God and not on their present circumstance. Worship will change our posture before the Lord. It will change our perspective before the Lord. It will turn our eyes. The reason we come into a place to worship is not to just think about ourselves. That worship is not when we put in, 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 when we sing songs as a form of worship in this place, that we don't put songs up there that talk about us. It talks about who God is. And it draws our attention. So we don't, make, we don't have incense in this place, but we have music. And we, we use our senses in that regard. We create a place and an environment that when we walk into this place, we go, we're not in a multi-purpose room at, a, at, a, at an elementary school. We are in a sanctuary where our focus can be on the presence of God. The blessing is that we bring the presence of God with us because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's something so tangible about recognizing that we come to worship and we surrender ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. You have a fragrance. You have a fragrance that you carry with you the aroma of the presence of God. You have the aroma of Jesus Christ over your life. And God is saying to us that we are to take that aroma and we are to bring it into the world around us, that the world around us would have an encounter with Jesus because of the fragrance of our lives. But if we do not focus on the presence of God and we do not get intimate with Jesus, our aroma will wear out. Our fragrance will wear out, right? We have to reapply. We have to reapply. We have to get back into the presence of the Lord. Years ago, we were on staff at a church, uh, and one of the pastors in our church loved his cologne. You know what I'm talking about. It wasn't a hint, it was a pint. Thanks, Jason, for that. And thankfully, it was a good cologne, because there's colognes, like, there's some that you're like, oh, please, no, no. Um, but I remember this, like, if you would encounter him at any point during the day and give him a hug, for the rest of the day, you smell like him. So much so that other people could tell, oh, you gave Pastor Dave a hug. <laughs> How much more that when we have time with Jesus that we would then go into our days that people would go, 
man, you have the fragrance of Jesus on your life. You have the aroma of Jesus in your life. You ever talk to someone where you're like, how do I ask them to have a, take a breath mint? You know, come on, we've all been there. You're having a conversation with someone. Don't be elbowing anyone, right? Aaron's being honest. You're talking to someone and you're like, I don't want to be rude, but man, you could stand to have a mint right now. I, I'm, I, one of the things I'm aware of, we have Altoids all over the place here at church because I know this, after I've been talking for however long I preach, half an hour, <laughs> um, I get done, and I know, I'm aware of the fact that my breath is probably not the greatest, which I'm like, I've got to go grab a mint, because I want to make sure that as I encounter people, we're not distracted by that. You're like, now you know a secret, right? (laughs) How aware of we in our lives of how we're coming to people and what we are emitting as a fragrance out of our lives? Are they getting an aroma of who Jesus is in their lives, or is it something else? Is it something else? And that we bear a responsibility before the Lord and we have an opportunity before the Lord to come to Him, to be in His presence, to worship Him in word, in deed, in thought, in action, in every, every part of our lives, to be in the word with Him, to draw close, to be intimate, to be aware of His presence. Can I tell you, you will not have the aroma of Jesus if you don't spend time with Jesus. And so what Jesus does, knowing that that's the case, he says, I'm going to come into the world. And I'm going to insert myself into my creation so that my creation can draw close to me. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brothers... In view of God's mercy, what he has done for you, as a response to what he has done, to you, done for you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. This verse can be troublesome, because what does that mean, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice? And we just agree there's people throughout history who've made this verse weird. Paul's not trying to make it weird. What he's saying is this, there should be this part of our lives, even physically, where we humble ourselves in the presence of God. In light of what he has done for us, that we would come to him and say, God, you have all of me. Every part of who I am. Take my hands, take my feet, take my thoughts, take my lips. You have every part of me. I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice. And what was it about the sacrifices that was significant? As they were offered, they emitted an aroma of fragrance. That when you come to the Lord with a heart of humility that says, God, I honor you. And I worship you and I surrender my life before you and I draw close to who you are. The result of that will be the aroma, the fragrance of the presence of God in your life. And here's the thing, church, we can't fake it. We can't fake it. We, we can try. But the reality is people know. People know when it's real. You can't fake authenticity. You either are or you're not. And the invitation through the Christ child is this, draw close. Come close to to me because I've drawn close to you. 
Paul says this is your true and proper worship. What is he implying? There's a way to to worship that's not true and not proper. Jesus would later say, hey, these people, their, their lips are saying all kinds of words, but their hearts are far from me. That in response to who Jesus is, the fact that he came for us, that he was born into this world and into this creation, that we would say, God, I just want to worship you. I want to be in your presence. And once I've been in your presence, I just want people to know that I've been in your presence. And we don't have to convince people that we've been in the presence of God. They'll just know. They'll just know. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There is this theme that is woven throughout Scripture where God is aware of the way that He has fashioned us and made us that we would understand this language of fragrance, the sensory engagement that we would have with God. Paul writes about going into creation and knowing that God exists because we can observe and see His creation. That is a sensory engagement, I mean, sensory encounter with God. Here with, through this, this fragrance, Jesus gives his life as a fragrant offering before the Lord. And then his invitation to us is to join him. To offer ourselves, to, to walk in the same way. Fulfill God's, not suggestion. Don't fulfill God's instruction. Fulfill or follow God's example. That he went ahead of us. He said, I will go into a difficult place. I will be born into this world, into this creation. The audacity of it, the, the, the mind-blowing part of it, maybe audacity is not the right word, but it's, ama- it's amazing to think that, that Jesus, the creator of all things, stepped into creation, the humility of it. That he would come to us and and how often in our lives we go, no, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to be involved in that circumstance. I, I would rather just keep my distance. And Paul says, follow God's example. Because what he did was that because of love, And he following the way of love, he gave himself, he came and he offered himself. And as he did, the fragrance was manifest, this fragrance was offered up and it was pleasing to God. What about you? What about this Christmas as we move into this season? What is the fragrance of your life? Is the fragrance and the aroma of the presence of God evident in who you are? The Magi make a bold statement when they come to Jesus and they offer frankincense. It was not because it's just what they had on the shelf, right? You know, some of you are going to go to a Christmas party and you're like, oh, I forgot a gift. What do we have in the house that we can bring, (laughs) right? 
It wasn't a white elephant gift. That this gift of frankincense that the Magi brought was significant. That it was ordained. That they would present this gift to this king to say, this is Emmanuel, this is God with us. That his presence, that who he is, is now close, is intimate, and available to us. I want to invite the worship team to come up as we close. Let's stand together. You will not smell like Jesus if you've not been with Jesus. You will not have his aroma if you've not been in his presence. Can I encourage you this Christmas as we worship Emmanuel, God with us, would you not just talk about him, but you, would you spend time with him? Would you press into the presence of Jesus? Would you even, even do this? Imagine that spectacle. Imagine just what was happening on that street as that procession came up and stopped in that place. And as all of those people got on their knees and they worshiped the King of Kings. Imagine in your own life, what does that look like? What does it look like for you to come before him and honor him and worship him with your life? To draw close so that your life would take on the fragrance of the presence of God. That there would be a transfer of who he is and what he's about into your life so much so that every party you go to, every gathering, in every situation, in every circumstance, people would go, man, you smell good. You smell good. So Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that you would do that work in us. Jesus, thank you that you drew close to us and that we have the confidence to be able to come before you boldly God, your word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a different sense, but it applies. God, that you want to engage us with every part of who we are, that we can hear your voice, that we can see your handiwork, that we can smell the aroma of your presence, Lord, that we can taste your goodness, and Lord, that we can have your arms wrapped around us and feel your presence. God, I pray that every bit of who you are, every aspect of your nature and your character would be present in our lives this Christmas, not just for us to benefit, but Lord, as, then, as we then go and touch the lives of the people around us, Lord, even after we've walked away, that there would be a lingering aroma that would be left. God, I pray even in this place, in this building and on this campus, God, after we pack up and we leave today, Lord, would you allow the presence, the aroma of your presence, the fragrance of your presence to remain in this place as, this, as school is in session this week, as the district staff come in this week, would, would there even just be a sense of your presence in this place? Because Jesus has been here. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together as we close.